Good morning. So my name's Tom. Um, like Brian said, I'm, I'm, I live in Brazil. Um, I've been down there for over 11 years now. I went down there in the beginning, January 2006, and I've been there ever since. Um, it, it's been a huge adventure, and I know I get to come back here about every year and a half, year and three months, something like that, and I get to share a little bit. I don't share a lot about what we do in Brazil uh, someone said to me, oh, I want to I hear more stories. I'll, I'll try and get a, a little bit, but today we're, we're going to talk about baptism. Um, so that's something a little more specific that we're going we're gonna to see today. Um, you guys can see, we, we have a, I have a picture maybe coming up here. Uh, this is my family, although this is, a, this is kind of an old photo. My, my son's three now. He's almost four. So this is when he was one. This is a few years ago. Uh, we'll try and get an updated photo for you guys for the website. Um, but this is my, my wife and my, my daughter, my son. Um, and then uh, we can show you a map here, too. Uh, we have a map of Brazil, and you can see more specifically where Curitiba is. Um, Curitiba is down in the south of Brazil. Um, it is the capital city of our state, Paraná. Um, it's, a, it's a really, really cool city. Um, it's, we say it's, it's the best big city in Brazil. There might be some other places that are, you know, maybe small cities, kind of like San Luis Obispo, that are, you know, great in that, in that regard. Um, but we're the best big city. We have almost 3 million people there, so it's, it's, a, it's a big place. Although for Brazil, that's nothing. Um, some of you guys, maybe if you know a little bit about, about Brazil, we love big cities. So uh, we, have, you know, we have some cities up in the north you know, that are 4, 5, 6 million. And then we've got Rio de Janeiro that's like, uh, I don't even know how, many, how, how much it is. I think it's like 15 million. Um, and then we've got Sao Paulo. It's over 20 million people. So that makes... That makes New York look small, if you guys think about that. Los Angeles is nothing compared to these cities. Um, so that's how we do it in Brazil. That's how we roll. Um, Curitiba uh, is a great city. We have uh, this, this cool blend of people that have come there. A lot of immigrants came in over from Europe before and after the World Wars. So we have uh, Italians, Germans, Polish, and Ukrainians that all kind of came together. And so it's interesting. We walk on the street... And I don't look like, oh, look, there's a gringo. Um, I walk down the street, and it's like, oh, there's another guy. I, I blend in, and that's kind of cool. We used to live up in the northeast of Brazil for a while, and it was like, I, I mean, I stuck out like a sore thumb. And so you walk down the street, and it's like, gringo. There's a gringo right there. He's walking. And uh, it, it's, it's a little bit uneasy sometimes because then you become the target for money, you know, because then it's like, oh, money, 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 and everyone's asking you for money, and it's, you know, it, it gets kind of tough sometimes. So down the south, it's kind of nice in that respect that I can kind of blend in and uh, kind of try to become uh, more Brazilian until I open my mouth and then they know, you know, <laughs> the accent kills me. Um, so anyway, that's what we're doing. We have, we have a church called Calvary Curitiba, and uh, it's a good little church. Uh, we're, we're, we're doing really well right now. Uh, we're, we've got some projects we're working on. We just built a, a little cafe. Um, we're building a, a children's play area. We have a little black backyard and where we are. Um, and we're just, we've got a ton of, ton of young families and a lot of little kids. Um, so I always feel like that's a, that's a sign of, of some health, right? We've got a lot of families coming in and some good things happening. So it's a little bit about what we're doing down in Brazil. Today, what we're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about baptism. And we're doing this because next week is the baptism, right? So we want to talk about what is the meaning of baptism? What does it symbolize <laughs> And, and we want to talk about something else because this is really connected to a much bigger idea. And I don't know if we all know that, and so I'm going to try to explain that to you today. 
So if you guys want to open up in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6 or, or turn on your cell phones or whatever it is, um, we're here in Romans chapter 6. I'm going to try and do verses 1 through 14, but for sure we're going to do the beginning of it because that's where it talks about baptism. And we're going to see uh, a passage that's just really, really rich. If you guys have never read the book of Romans, this is what they call the Constitution of the Bible. It is, you know, the big, important document that explains Christianity. Um, it can be very complex in certain chapters. And uh, chapter 6 is a little bit complex, not too bad, but we're going to get into some deep ideas. So if you guys want to read with me, I'll read this for you. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. He asks a very important question here in verse 1, and then he's going to proceed to explain the answer. He says this, chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be Slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So this passage, this is, it talks about baptism. But then it goes so much deeper, it talks about something much bigger in terms of Christianity. And that's really what we want to look at today, because baptism is really symbolic of the Christian life. And that's what we want to understand. We want to understand what is this symbolism represents, and, and how does that apply to me? Okay? That's what we're going to look at today. So he starts off, like I said at the very beginning, he asks this very important question. He says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? This is a question that's connected to chapter 5. He finishes chapter 5 talking about how sin was abounding in the world, but where sin abounded, grace much more abounded, or it could be translated super abounded. So he's saying sin was increasing but grace was even greater. It's good news for us, right? But he says, okay, so someone could hypothetically ask this question. If my sin increases 
And no matter how much my sin increases, grace is even greater, then should I just keep sinning so that grace keeps getting bigger and bigger, right? That makes sense. It's a logical question. But Paul says, no, that, that's, that's, not, that's not the issue here. We, we, can't, we can't do that. We can't continue in sin. And then he gets into this whole idea of baptism here in verse 3. Read with me again verse 3 and 4. He says this, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So, he brings up this very, very important issue. He says that we who are in Christ, we have died to sin. And baptism is a symbol. It's a way of showing to the world, declaring, if you will, that we have died with Christ. And so, literally, what happens in baptism? You guys saw the pictures up there, right? They come in, they, they take you out to the water, and then they dunk you under the water and then raise you up. Why do we do that? Okay, well, interesting thing is the word baptism literally means to submerge. Okay, so we're literally putting you under the water just like we saw out there. Um, and so then what they do is they're going to take you down and they're going to lay you under the water just like Christ was laid in the tomb. So it's like we're dying with Christ. We're saying literally, I'm going to die with Jesus. Put me in the tomb. But Jesus didn't stay in the tomb, right? And so Jesus was raised up into new life. And we also are raised up out of the water to a new life, not a new physical life, but a new life in the spirit. This is the, this is the symbolism of baptism. You're saying, I am dying with Christ. Put me in the tomb with him. But just as he was raised from the dead, I will be raised to a new life that is completely led by the Spirit. And this is the Spirit-filled life. This is what we want to talk about. Um, in terms of living our lives for Jesus, we live by the Holy Spirit, right? We live by the Holy Spirit. So this baptism is so important because it represents us dying with Christ and being raised to new life. Now, what I talked about here, what I said mentioned earlier, is that this is connected to a much bigger issue in Christianity, and this is the whole idea of us dying. We're dying with Christ. And this is something that Jesus talked about in several different passages, but I want to give you one of them. Turn with me to Matthew 16, verse 24, and 20, 24 through 26, actually. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 26. This is what Jesus said. He said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So Jesus gave some pretty strict parameters for those of us who want to be his disciple. He said, if you want to come after me, you want to, you want to follow me, you want to be my disciple, no problem. This is what you got to do. Okay? Now, you should be, this guy's probably getting out their notepads. They're ready to write this down. Okay, what is it, Jesus? What do I have to do in order to be your disciple? And he says, deny yourself, take up your cross, 
and then follow me. Okay, what does that mean? Deny yourself means that you are putting your own desires back on the back burner. You're putting Christ's desires first. You're saying it's no longer my life, it's now his life that he's going to live through me. I'm going to deny myself and my desires in order to follow him. But then he reinforces that because he comes in after and he says that you need to take up your cross. Now, unfortunately, this, this idea has been taken a little bit out of context in our culture because we have all sorts of weird things that we, we say this to, all sorts of contexts, right? So sometimes people are going, they're like, yeah, well, you know, I've got this beat-up car. I'd like to get a newer car. I just don't have the money right now. It's just kind of the cross that I'm going to bear here in my life. No, but, I, you know, I, I've got this, this thing in my toe here, you know, this corn that's growing, and it's, it, it kind of hurts when I walk, you know. Uh, I'll get it checked out by a doctor. This is, this is the cross that I bear here in life. That, that's not what he's talking about, right? That's not what he's talking about. The cross was an instrument of death. The Romans created this in order to kill people in a very painful way. They wanted to make a public display of anyone who would oppose their authority, and they wanted everyone to see, if you oppose us, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be up here. You're going to be humiliated because we're going to put you up there naked. We're going to put you on the outside of your city so that everyone coming in the city is going to see you, and everyone's going to know, this is what happens to those who oppose us. And people would stay up there sometimes for days, days suffering on the cross, They were nailed to it, so they had all sorts of pain going on through their body. And then they would slowly die of asphyxiation. So they would suffocate to death. And they would be up there sometimes days pushing up to try to get air, trying just each second, trying to get more air so they could continue to live. And eventually they would just give out and they would fall down where they couldn't breathe anymore and then they would die. And the Romans would say, yeah, see? That's what's going to happen to you if you oppose us, okay? Now, when Jesus says, take up your cross, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about people going up and dying to themselves. Now, it's interesting because this is exactly what Paul talks about in that famous verse in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me, right? I mean, that, that is so profound, Because he said, I died with Christ. I was baptized with, I was placed into the tomb, and then I was raised up into new life. And now it's not me, it's not Paul anymore in this body, even though outwardly it looks like Paul. Now it's a shell of Paul with Jesus inside. I died. My life is no longer my own. And now I just follow him in whatever he wants. You see, this this idea of baptism is much bigger. It represents us following Jesus in everything that he desires, everything that he wants. And that's complicated for us, especially as Americans. Man, especially as Americans. You see, we as Americans, we are incredibly individualistic. And that's good in many ways because we do all sorts of really cool things. How many many of you guys have heard of like the, the newest Brazilian car? Raise your hand real high. Anyone heard of the newest Brazilian car? There is no Brazilian car. They don't do that, right? They bring in Chevrolet, they bring in Ford, and they build cars there. Why? They don't don't do that. They don't do new things. 
Americans, we do these new things. It's really cool. It's something that I'm very proud of when I look at America. Wow, look at all the things we invent. Look at how, how, how strong we are, how, how innovative we are. That's part of the individualistic thing. But when it comes to Christianity, that can be complicated. Because Christianity is not about, look how strong I am. Look at how great I Look at my ideas. Look at how creative I can be. It's about, look at how great Jesus is, and I'm going to die to myself to follow him. And that means that we as Christians are called to lay down our dreams, our plans, our focus, everything that we are in order to follow Jesus. And that's what he says. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And so this is why we do baptism. Baptism is the sign of saying, hey, guys, listen, I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm I'm, I'm no longer here with you guys. Now my life is in Christ, and I'm going to follow him with all that I am. And so that baptism is something so significant. Now, I don't know about all you guys. I don't know who's been baptized and who hasn't. Um, I I have an interesting story because when I was a little kid, when I was two years old, um, I got baptized in, in another church. Um, my mom called in the, 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 the leader, the pastor, and he came over and they, they, they did a, a sprinkling on me. Um, I don't remember any of it, um, but I saw it in an album, a photo album. And so one day we're looking through this photo album and I'm like, what's this? Like, oh, that's your baptism. I was baptized? Yeah, you were baptized when you were two. We did that. We called the pastor over, and and we had you baptized in the backyard. And I was like, really? I had no idea, right? Now, it's difficult for a two-year-old to declare, I'm dying with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. (laughs) So when I got older, and I actually, I didn't consider myself a Christian, um, I actually believed that I accepted Christ uh, two months before my 18th birthday, right before my senior year in high school started. And so I, I got saved, and, and I, I started walking with Jesus, and I was like, oh, no, baptism? Yeah, I got baptized when I was two. I'm good, right? I don't need that. And, and so for years, I didn't get baptized. I came to college here at Cal Poly, um, didn't get baptized. There were times when I had opportunities to get baptized. No, no, I, I was already baptized. I'm good. But there was a certain point after college where I, I felt like, you know what, I think I need to get baptized again. Um, and, and it wasn't an issue of, well, it was, you know, you were sprinkled on and you really need to be submerged. It wasn't that. Um, it was more the issue of, you know, I didn't declare my desire to follow Christ. My parents did this, which is the strangest thing because I don't even know if they're saved. Um, but they, they decided that and I had nothing to do with it. I don't even remember it. And so I said, you know what, I think it's important that I make that public declaration and get baptized to tell everyone, no, I really am. I'm dying to myself so I can follow Jesus. And so that's really what baptism is about. You guys will have this opportunity uh, next Sunday to do the exact same thing. Um, And and this is really, really important for your faith. It's It's a great opportunity to publicly declare that you are a follower of Christ and that you are surrendering your life to follow his, right? Now, back in the passage in in Romans, Paul goes into some much deeper stuff after this. And this is where things get really, really good. Look with me in verses five through seven. 
This is what he says. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. So this idea of death goes much deeper than us just surrendering our dreams and our hopes, our plans to Jesus. This is involving sin. Okay, Sin is obviously is our enemy. And sin is a very serious thing because it infects all of us. And so what happens is the only way to really get free from sin is to die. Because as long as we're alive in this body, we're going to have sin infecting us and, and really spreading through us and affecting other people as well. So this idea of dying goes beyond just following Jesus. It's an idea of being set free from our sin. Now, people say, well, I'm not free from my sin. I was baptized. It's not a complete setting free, but it's setting free in the eyes of Jesus. Okay? Now, let me, let me, give, you, let me give you an explanation of this. Okay? He says here, if we have been united with him. If we have been united. Now, this word if could be translated if, but it also could be translated as since. Since we have been united together with him in his death. Um, this is really important because being united with Christ, it's all about being set free from our sin. You see, before we are in Christ, we have sin in our lives that dominates us. And we're going to see these types of words, especially at the end of this passage, because he talks about sin reigning in our lives. It talks about us obeying sin. It talks about it having dominion over us. This is very strong language because sin was our master. Okay? Sin was our master. Paul explains it in Ephesians. He says that we were actually dead in our trespasses and sins. We were alive physically, but spiritually we were dead. So this was a really serious problem because the sin dominated us in such a way that death was reigning in our lives. And so he says, okay, now if you've died with Christ, that changes everything. That, that changes your whole spiritual uh, complexion in life. And he says that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed. Okay? He has been freed. This word freed is really funny because this is the word justified in the Greek. This is the same word that we use when we talk about being justified. What does that word mean? That word means to be declared righteous. Or in other words, free from sin. That's why it was translated as freed here. We have been declared righteous by Jesus even though we're not righteous. Why? Because we died with Christ and we rose again in the Spirit. We have a new life led by the Spirit where we have been declared righteous, even though many of us don't feel that. Does that make sense? I look at that and I say, okay, right, me? Me righteous? He says, yeah, yeah, you. You're righteous. No, no. That guy back there, he might be. You're not talking about me. I'm not righteous. I know what goes on in my heart. I know. I, I tell my church all the time, I said, if you guys knew the thoughts that came into my mind, you would never come to this church. 
However, if I knew the thoughts that went to your mind, I'd never let you in the door. So we're even here. Let's, <laughs> little give and take, right? But then he declares me righteous, and I say, wait, how is it that me, a sinner, could be righteous? This is the act. I'm dying with Christ because he died for me, so I'm going to go with him so that I can be raised to new life. And the cool thing is, when it uses this word freed or or the word justified in the Greek, um, it's given to us in the perfect tense, okay? The perfect tense. The perfect tense in the Greek is something we don't really have in, in English, but it's beautiful. What it means is something that was done in the past that lasts from that moment on forever, okay? One time in the past on forever. That's the perfect tense. And so he's saying, you have been justified. You have been declared righteous at one point in the past when you believed in Jesus. And that righteousness will go with you forever until eternity, even though you know that you're constantly failing and constantly making mistakes. Constantly, right? We're making mistakes all the time. And sometimes we feel this great condemnation that comes upon us like, Man, how did this happen? Why did I do that again? I can't believe I did that again. I said I would never do that again, and then I did that again. That's what happens, right? Satan will come along. He will say, listen, you are a failure. I can't believe you call yourself a Christian. You didn't die with Christ. He'll start whispering all these things in your ears so you feel the condemnation on top of you. And all the while, Jesus says, no, don't listen to him. Look at me. You are righteous, You are righteous because you died with me. And you have been set free from your sins. You are no longer a slave of sin, but now you are a slave of righteousness. You will live in righteousness. You will experience righteousness as you walk in the Holy Spirit. This is the victorious life in the Christian, right? For the the Christian, sorry. That we live in the Holy Spirit. We allow his power to work in and through us. And then we experience that righteousness. We experience the power that can only come from God. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So when you're thinking about baptism, what you're doing is you're saying, man, I really want to be baptized. I want to declare myself dead to sin. I want to declare myself to be alive with Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to be declared righteous so that I can walk in that victory that only the Holy Spirit can give. That is what is the greater meaning of baptism. Now, as we get into the context of the passage here, this still goes back to verse 1 when he has that really important question. Shall we continue in sin? You see, we've been declared righteous from that point that we believed on for the rest of eternity. And that means all of our sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. This one rocks Brazilians' minds. This one, they, they, can't get the, they can't wrap their head around this. But think about this. Past, present, and future sins are forgiven. Everything that you will ever do in your life has already been forgiven if you are in Christ. Now, people look at that and they say, okay, so what you're saying is, I can go out and sin and it doesn't matter to God. That's not what I said. That's not what I said, right? What happens is, is that people look at that and they begin to pervert grace, right? And they say, oh, so I've been forgiven. Let's go out and party, right? Vegas is calling, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Let's do it, right? That, that's not what's going on here. 
What he's saying is, you have, been, you have given, been given so much forgiveness, so much grace has been poured out upon you that you should die to yourself, take up your cross, and follow him as an act of thanksgiving to your Lord and Savior who gave you this incredible gift of forgiveness. The, the grace shouldn't draw you to carnality towards sin, but it should draw you closer to Jesus. You see how good he is. You see how loving he is, how gracious he is, and that should cause you to go closer. And so then Paul goes in to explain this throughout the rest of the passage because since we're alive in God, alive in Christ, it should change the way we live, okay? Let's continue on this passage. Look at what he says here. Look at verses 8 through 10. It says, now, if we died with Christ... We believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. So he says that if we died with Christ, we believe that we're going to live with Christ. And so that's where the, the following of Christ comes in because we can't just say, yes, I believe, and then go back to the way that we were living. That doesn't make any sense. To say, yes, I believe that Jesus died for my sin, so now I'm going to go out and live in it. I'm going to wallow in my sin as much as possible to experience it as much as I can before I die. That doesn't work. The whole idea is, wow, look at what he saved me from. He, he took me from being dead spiritually to alive in him, I'm going to live for him. That's the idea. And it talks about how he doesn't die again. He died once for everyone. And he lives now forever. He will never die again. Death has no dominion over him. He is now up in heaven, seated at the right hand of the throne of God, waiting for the day that he will come back to get us, hopefully soon. Hopefully soon. He's going to come back to get us. He's just waiting. He's alive and he's well. And he's waiting for the day to come back and get us. So if he's alive, he has this new life, even more us, right? We have a new life in Christ. And so he says, verse 11, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This word reckon is, you know, it's a funny word. We don't use it a lot here in California. Um, and I don't know if people even use it right in the South. But, you know, I reckon we're going to go do this or I reckon we're going to go do that. Um, but what it means, it means to count or to consider. Uh, it could mean to esteem. Well, that's also a word we don't use a lot. Um, but basically what it means, it says consider yourself or count yourself to be dead to sin but alive in Christ. Remember that fact. Remember your baptism. Remember your faith in Christ. In order that you can live your life, not for yourself, dying to sin and living to Christ. It is your choice to realize that or not. You can consider yourself still part of sin, or you can consider yourself to have been justified, declared righteous by the death of Jesus Christ. It's your choice. And then he goes in, and he gets real practical as he gets through to the end of this passage. And he talks about how we, were, we are to present ourselves 
to Christ in this way. Look at verse 12 and 13. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. This is the application here. He says, because you've been declared righteous, now present yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness. Now, this word instrument is really interesting because it could mean tool, but it could also be translated as a weapon, a weapon of war. So what is he saying here? He's saying you can be a weapon in the hand of Christ for his kingdom. He says, it's your choice. You can present yourself to sin and continue in the thing that Christ freed you from, or you can present yourself to God as an instrument saying, hey, what do you have for me? What would you like me to do to to do some work for your kingdom? Like Brian talked about at the beginning, um, this is really what led me to Brazil. Um, I was here at Cal Poly. I was trying to have an open heart. People had talked about that. I'd heard teaching on it. You know, you need to have an open heart to do whatever God has for you. Okay, let's see that. Okay, so I just presented myself to him. I just said, God, what do you have for me? What, what, do, you, what do you want me to do? What, what is your plan for me? Just show me. And, and this is something that I, that I tell, I think I've said it here before, and I, I'll, I say it to my church all the time. If you cannot today... As a Christian, come in here and say, listen, I will go anywhere at any time and do anything. You just say the word. If you cannot say that, there's something drastically wrong with your relationship with Christ. Okay? Because you died. Right? You you declared yourself to be dead when you were placed in the water. And you were raised up to a new life in him. So now your life is no longer yours, like Paul said. Now you live for Christ. It's Christ who lives in you. So I just came in. I just said, okay, God, what do you have? And God sent me on this crazy adventure. I, I've been all over. Um, and and I, I started off going, uh, started off going to, to Bible college to study the word. I went over to Europe. Um, I got to visit a couple, several countries over there. Um, I moved up to Seattle for a while and was working at, at a Calvary up there. Um, came back here and did an internship. And then I ended up going down to Brazil, and I've been down there for over 11 years now. Um, being a missionary is not something that is like this special anointing that God pours out upon people. It's not something that is like, well, that guy, you know, he's super spiritual. Not me. I'm just a normal guy. No, I'm just a normal guy. I'm a normal guy that just said, okay, God, what do you have? And it's that availability, that openness, where God says, okay, great. Now I can send you where I want to send you. Now, what happens is most people don't go out anywhere. Right? Why? Because God doesn't send out everybody. He doesn't send out everyone as missionaries, so don't, don't start freaking out. Um, some people are like, no, I don't want to go to Brazil, man. I don't want to go anywhere. Um, it, it's not that God necessarily, he's just waiting for you to say, okay, God, I'll go, and then you, he's going to send you out. He might, but he might not. He might have you stay right here. He might say, you know what, I want you to be a sender, not the one who is sent. And then you can be the one who is supporting missionaries or supporting the church activities that they're doing. This is really important as well. But that availability is what's really necessary to see exactly what God has. And I think that's the point that Paul's trying to make here. You don't present yourself to sin. 
You don't say, listen, I want to live my life. God will see you when I get to heaven. Uh, we'll talk when I get there. But for now, I've got this plan, and I'm going to do it. Um, I told my, my church, I don't know if I shared this here before, um, but when I, was, when I came to Cal Poly, I started off as a journalism major. And I, had, I was like, okay, what am I going to do in journalism? I didn't even know that I wanted to be journalism. But uh, my mom said, you know, you really, you're a pretty good writer. You know, what do you think about journalism? And I was like, yeah. You know, I, I, I like writing essays. Uh, I, I don't like writing essays, but I'm decent at writing essays. And, and, you know, I was pretty good at it. So I thought, well, yeah, maybe I could be a writer. You know, that would be really cool. And so then I started thinking, okay, what, what can I do as a journalism major? And, and it was like this revelation came to me. It was, it was you know, this stroke of genius. And I was like, this is it. I'm going to graduate in journalism. I'm going to get a, a, a job writing for Surfer Magazine. I'm going to travel the world surfing and writing about surfing. And they're going to pay me to do that. And I thought, this is genius. This is the greatest thing ever. I will travel the world and surf the greatest surf spots in the world, and they're going to pay me to do that. Who could think of something so genius? And God came in not too long after that and said, you know what, I've got a different plan. I'm going to send you somewhere else. Um, I'm down in Brazil. I'm landlocked. I'm I'm about an hour and a half from the beach. Um, I haven't surfed since 2005 when I was here. (laughs) It was fall 2005. And you know what? It doesn't even bother me anymore. It doesn't even bother me. I'm not even like, gosh, I got to get in the water. I don't even care anymore. I, I still think surfing's cool. I think it's great. For all you surfers out there, go for it. You guys live here, you know, experience it. But God said, you know, I got something more for you. Present yourself to me as a weapon of righteousness, and I will use your life to do something that's far greater than traveling the world and writing about surfing, as great as that plan was. Um, he says, I want you to do work for my kingdom. Work for my kingdom. That's what it means to be a weapon in the hands of God, to be used by him to bring people to Christ, to be used by him to make those who are already in Christ stronger, to encourage them and strengthen them in the faith, to be used by him to do things that will impact eternity, not just this life. You see, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing inherently sinful about traveling the world and surfing. It's it's wonderful. And you, in certain ways, you can experience God through nature, and it's beautiful. I don't know, for those of you who have been out on a board at sunset, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. It's it's majestic. It's serene. You're out there, and you see the sun setting on the water, and it's just beautiful, and you're like, man, God is so good. God is so beautiful. That's awesome. But many times God has something so much more for us when we're willing to open our hearts and follow him in whatever he has. And so that's, that's really the main message that Paul's trying to get across. Present yourself as an instrument of righteousness. And he uses some interesting language here as he talks about, he says, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in its lusts. This word reign, it literally means to have predominance over. It's something that is like a king reigning over his kingdom. He tells you what to do and you do it. People don't go to the king and say, you know, uh, your majesty, I don't think that's a good idea. You, You just don't do that. And so it's the same thing. You let sin reign in your life. People don't say to sin, you know what, I think I've had enough. I don't think I should go there anymore. Sin is just like, come, immerse yourself in me. Experience me to the fullest. 
that's reigning. It's having predominance. The word obey also, it means to give heed, to follow, to yield to. It's used in the sense of servants and masters because sin had a mastery over us. So if we've been set free, we've been justified, declared righteous, why would we present ourselves to sin once again? We've got to set ourselves free. We've got to present ourselves to God. I'm sorry, that didn't make sense. Not set ourselves free. We've got to get away from that and present ourselves to God in order that we can be an instrument in his hands. This is the main thing, right? Now, he closes out here with a really important verse, which leads us into the next section, which we're not going into. Uh, But he says in verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. It will not have dominion over you. It will not rule over your life because you're not under that anymore. You're not under law. You're under grace. Now, he brings up the next part because when you start in verse 15 to the end of the chapter, he starts talking about how we're not under the law, but we're under grace. And that's a whole other sermon I wish we had time to go into. Um, I've taught a lot about this in my church because I think this is something that's really, really important that we don't live in the Old Testament anymore. We don't live in the Old Testament. We've been set free from the law. The law had dominion over us. If you read Galatians chapter 3, it talks about that, and it's really beautiful. It says that the law was a tutor. It was a teacher, you know? Like a, um, some of you guys might have had private tutors for different subjects. Um, I had a friend. He actually he didn't go to my high school, but he hired my high school math teacher to be his private tutor, right? He was having trouble with math, uh, especially when you start getting up there. You know, math gets complicated, and he, he was having trouble, and he hired my teacher to be uh, his private tutor. The law was that. The law was our private tutor. And it says it was our tutor to lead us to Christ. To lead us to Christ. See, a tutor teaches you the way that you're supposed to go, right? It says, no, no, don't do it like this. You do it like this. Ah, okay, I see. That's how you do it. And so the law comes in. It shows you all these rules And it says, okay, now you see all these rules, you see that you cannot do it, right? You you can't complete all those. If we look at the Ten Commandments and we start to go through them one by one, we'll see that we've broken every single one of them, every single one of them. Now, the the problem is we look at some of them, we say, well, do not murder. Well, I didn't murder anybody. Praise God, I didn't do that. And then Jesus comes in, he messes the whole thing up. And he says, you know what? If you hated someone in your heart, then you've murdered already. And you're like, oh, man, even the one that I had right, that's the one that Jesus takes away. (laughs) So we go through them, and we break them all, and we say, well, now I'm a sinner. And he says, yes, you're a sinner. Go to Christ. Go to Christ and receive the grace, receive the forgiveness that he's offering to you. That's the beauty of not being under the law, but being under grace. Now, again, um, we don't have that. If you guys want to check that out, we actually have some sermons. You guys can check out our website it's calvarycutachiba.com, and we have all our sermons and messages on there. It's a little bit complicated because it's half Portuguese. Um, so you guys will have to get a Google Translator or something. Uh, but I have whole sermons on this message uh, to make sure that people are feeling the freedom that Christ gave to us. Okay? So let's wrap this up, okay? Um, what's going on? We have a baptism next week. Okay? Some of you have already been baptized. Awesome. But some of you have not been. And if you're thinking today, well, I, I, I think I need to be baptized. Awesome. Do it. it, it it's, it's not the point where you get saved. Okay? You're saved by faith, not by baptism. 
But what happens is, is you make a public declaration of your faith. Because faith is internal, right? It's something in our heart. I believe in my heart. Well, how do I know you really believe? Someone could say, yeah, I believe, but they don't really believe. Or someone could say, no, no, I don't believe, but they actually do believe. How do we know what's going on in someone's heart? Okay? Well, baptism is one of the ways that we show that. We make a public declaration of our faith in Christ, and we say, you know what? I'm going to die with him in order to be raised up to new life in the Spirit, in order that I can be an instrument of God to be used more greatly for his kingdom. That's what it means. So I want you guys to think about that today. Pray about that. If you have not been baptized and you feel like, hey, I think this, this is something that I need to do, or if it's something that you're like me and you're like, hey, I was baptized when I was two, and you're thinking, well, I don't know if that was really me deciding to follow Christ, um, but I think I should, then maybe next Sunday is your opportunity, okay? It, it is an awesome experience um, to be baptized. You come out, you're soaking wet, all your friends are there, they're cheering, your family maybe, uh, people are giving you hugs, you know, people you don't even know, they're hugging you, hey, congratulations, you know, because this is a, a very important thing to declare yourself dead with Christ and being a new creation led by him. So think about that, pray about that. And also, I just want to encourage you guys to open your hearts, right? Open your hearts. Because for those of you who have already been baptized, you are in Christ. You've declared yourself dead. But maybe there's something that you're kind of holding back um, because part of our individual, individualism that's, that's here in the United States, we're like, I got a plan. God, hold on, I got this. I got this for you. You know, I'll take care of this. And God's saying, no, no, don't do that. Hold back. Resist yourself. Deny yourself. And follow me. Let me do it through you. Maybe that's what you're needing today. So um, as the, the worship band comes back up here, they're coming back up here, right? No? Yes. Okay. As the worship band comes back up here, um, I want you guys just to, just to close your eyes and, and just, just pray. We're going to have communion in the back like, like they always do. Um, but this is an opportunity for you to kind of just check and see what's in your heart, okay? Open your heart to God this morning. Open your heart and say, God, what do you have for me? And maybe he says, you're on the right path. Keep going, okay? Awesome. But maybe he's going to say, you know, I've got something totally different. Open your heart this morning, and let's worship Christ. Let's celebrate his death and resurrection.